Bibles with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. And as we do that, our children, if they're still in here, I'll dismiss the kids' dome. If you are a child in this place, thank you, Jesus. You are dismissed. Praise you. You are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy, Jesus. The book of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it said, It pleased Darius to, send, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel, concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that, whom, that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Lord, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness and your presence that is here, God. And Lord, this morning, we just humble our hearts before you, and we ask you, Spirit of God, to speak to us. We ask you to give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, and we pray that we would be faithful respondents to it, to it, Lord God. Let us not just hear, but let us be doers of it, Lord God. May you be glorified in these next few moments as I share with my brothers and my sisters. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, would you just raise your hand, hold your hand up, so that way the ushers can get them to you. These outlines are important. Um, I posted something on um, Twitter. I was reading an article written by Pat Morley. Pat Morley is the author of the book, Man in the Mirror. And um, he's, he's authored a few different books, No Man Left Behind. And he was writing an article talking about discipleship. And it was actually the bottleneck. And, and, and in, that, in, that, um, in that article, one of the lines that stood out to me in a big way was that if your disciples are not making disciples, you're not really making disciples. Did you hear that? If your disciples are not making disciples, you're not really making disciples. 
And so what that means, right, for me, like that stung me like in my heart because, you know, I start thinking right away like, okay, you know, I preach, I teach, you know, I exhort, I encourage, I do all that stuff, you know, to try to call the church into deeper devotion to Christ and into the discipleship process. And my heart is, is, is God, are the people of God before me actually making disciples? Are we doing that? And so my, my prayer, and, and, and weekly I remind you of these, uh, of these outlines and their importance, and there's questions in there for you, for you to answer for yourself, but you can also take notes. You follow along in the outline. You have the main scriptures and things like that. And so it's important for me that you take this to heart and that you know, don't just take notes for yourself, that you don't just take this as a piece of paper to write something else on, but that you would really consider and that you would really think about who am I? I making a disciple of? Are you here? Who is it that I'm impacting their life with the gospel? Who is it that I'm trying to help grow in their faith? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be helping others grow in their faith. That's what making disciples is all about. And so you have your outlines there, and so we got a lot of ground to cover. Today is the final message in our series, and God we trust. Next week we're going to be starting a book study. We're going to walk through First and Second Thessalonians from here to the end of the year and just deal with those scriptures and deal with those texts. But this week we're going to deal with the message I've entitled Political Correctness. Amen. Now, I know y'all knew that when I started preaching this series that I was going to have to touch on politics at some point. Amen. I'm just saying, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've dabbled in it here and there. And, and so today, um, we're we going to touch on that a little bit. Amen. Glory to God. And so some of you are going to be offended. Amen. Probably all of you will be offended, and I'm not. And I want you to know, I'm not preaching this to offend you. I'm just preaching this to share the truth. But I'll spend the the, the minor part of my time dealing with politics in particular. But what I want to talk about is political correctness. Um, if you look at your outline here, thus far in this series, we have seen the greatest sign of dependence upon God is a life of prayer. We talked about that the first week. The greatest sign of trust in God is obedience to the Word of God, and lastly, living in hope of the kingdom to come will produce holy living. So those are the three things that we have touched on. We've touched on prayer, we've touched on obedience to the scriptures, and we've touched on living a holy life in hope of the kingdom to come. As Pastor Chad was up here today, and he was reminding us that there is coming a day, and we do this every week, but there is coming a day where there will be no more tears, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more discouragement, there'll be no more anything, no more heartbreak. There'll be a glorious time where you are no longer working Worried about anything. Amen. Right? It's, it's, it's motivating to know that there is a time that is coming for us and we're looking forward to that. But if I'm really looking forward to that, then that affects the way that I live. And so today we will conclude our series with a look at trusting God in the midst of a culture bound in and deceived by political correctness. How do we live within a culture like that? How do, we, how do we as Christians operate in a culture that is like that, that is bound in this political correctness? How do we, how do we navigate and, and really how do we be who we're supposed to be, which is salt and light in the midst of the earth? Um, second paragraph here, one of the most divisive times in our nation is that of the political season. Come on, somebody say amen. Right? Some of y'all shut off Facebook, you unfollow people, you unfriend people, glory to God. Right? You, you like, and, 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 and a couple years ago, I got into some senseless, and I said senseless, say senseless. senseless. Some senseless debates, 
right? Because, and, and here, here's what I want you to know. They're senseless because I've concluded, and I, and, and I think Sister Helen is probably the one that, that posted this. It's like a pie chart of, you know, it shows you how many people your senseless debates really impact on Facebook, and the pie chart is 0%. Amen. And you may not influence someone's opinion about a particular topic, but you can change someone's opinion about you like that. Did you hear that? You may, not, you, you may not help someone see the light. And the only reason, I confess this, the only reason, um, I, I like, I like one, another, another friend of mine, he posted on Facebook, and, and he said, it, it's, it's a meme, and it says, you know, it's okay to disagree with someone's post and not comment. Amen. Yeah, that, that'll sink in, right, in a little while. Right? It's, it's okay to do that. And so, you know, when I first got on Facebook, I was like, no, I got to correct that and correct that. I, I told you I was Facebook police, glory to God. As years have passed, I've learned, you know what, I got a, a bunch of better stuff to do. And so I don't get, there half, get on there half as often as I do. And then I pick and choose which battles. The other day I was feeling really, I guess I use the word frisky. We'll use that word, right? I was feeling a little, you know, intense. And I was like, you know, I, I came off vacation. I was rested. And I was like, let me just throw something out there. So we had some little, you know, good, good, good debates. But nonetheless, it is in this season that we see so much division in our nation, even in our churches. You know, we would assume, right, that this would be the assumption. The assumption is that everybody that comes in here believes the same. Why? Well, because we read the same Bible, don't we? You hear the same preacher preaching to you every week, don't you? Amen. Glory to God. But here's the truth. The truth is that if we, and I'm not going to do this right now, if we, went, if we went around and we asked you certain questions, we would find that some of you are just in sin the way you think. <laughs> amen, amen. I'm glad I got two people to laugh, right? Some of you are just, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm saying this because this is true. Some of you don't think biblically. And I didn't say that it's because of your party affiliation. I didn't say that. That's what's in your head. Listen to what I'm saying. Some of us do not think biblically on the issues of our day. It's just, it's just reality. Some of us embrace the tradition of our parents, uh, embrace the tradition that we've always been raising, so we're always going to be a Republican because everybody was always this, or we're always going to be a Democrat because we're always this, or, you know, whatever it is, right? And so we have these debates and these divisions and things like that. And the truth of the matter is, the only reason, this is my confession, whenever I got into any of those debates that were senseless, it was only because of one thing. It's because I care about the people that are reading the stuff. And I care about the nation in which we live. And I believe that as a Christian, I should care very much about the place where we live. We're going to look at a scripture in a little while um, at the end here. But as a Christian, I should care. And I should realize that the greatest way for me to influence the culture in which I live is for me to live out of a biblical worldview. Are you here? It's for me to look at life through the lens of Scripture, to look at all issues through the lens of Scripture, like every issue. Let me, let me just bring up one issue in our, in our political debate today, you know, that we have that's really big. It's, it's a huge issue. It's the issue of immigration. How many of y'all would agree that's a pretty big issue, right, that's being out there, right? It's a big deal, right? But, you, know, you, have, you, know, you have one person saying, you know, right, I'm not, and I'm not talking about the people that are necessarily in front. I just talk about groups, you know. One group, let everybody in. We got to be gracious and all this and that. Another group is like, don't let anybody in. And so this is a tough issue because how do you look at that from a biblical worldview? How do you see that? Well, you have two different positions from Scripture that you have to navigate on. And these are, these are the positions. The position one is that we are supposed to care about the strangers. Are you here? I'm just saying. Right? 
We're supposed to care about the strangers. We're supposed to care about the aliens. We're, we're supposed to care about those people who are oppressed and hurting. Like that's something that's biblical. Here's the other side of that. The other side of that is that we are supposed to also make sure that people obey the laws of the land. So which one's right? I don't know. Anyway, um, I just want to bring it up. I just want to let you know how difficult this is, right? So I can argue from this position over here. Here's my point. I can argue from this position over here and give you all kind of scripture and jam you up. And then I can come over here and I could argue the same way. And on that particular topic, can I tell you something? I could argue with myself all day long. Straight up. I could, I could convince myself either way. And this is why it's so important that we marry the two and that we figure out a way because, you know, we're supposed to be wise in all that we do, that we're able to marry those two principles and that we're able to navigate and lead our nation the right way. And so ultimately, political correctness, and look, look at this second paragraph here. Within the church, hear me when I say this, I believe this, we have yet to come to terms with the reality that we live from a kingdom and for a kingdom whose king is sovereign and and above all leaders and nations of this world, and in him alone, say him alone, in him alone is their true deliverance and salvation. Let me say this now, just in case I don't make it clear later on. There is no salvation in the um, Republican Party, neither in the Democratic Party. Let me say it like this. No matter what party you create, Okay, unless it's the Jesus party and the real Jesus from heaven is the one leading it, there is no salvation. There is no deliverance. I, you know, when you think back, I want you to think about this for a moment. When Jesus came to this earth and, and, and he came onto the scene and he, and he, and he, and he began to, to lead, you know what they wanted? They wanted a political revolution. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for the Savior to come and deliver Israel from the bondage of Rome. And that's what they were waiting on. And Jesus is like, that's not what I came to do. Are you here? So does that mean that Jesus didn't deal in politics? No, that doesn't mean that. If you read the Bible, I mean, and look, the, the reason why I came to Daniel is not because I wanted to prove a point. It's because when I was praying about this series, right, what came to my heart was I started to say, man, how should the church, should the church even care about political issues? Because when you look in the church, there's like those two groups, right? And, and I'm going to say there's two extremes. There's one extreme over here. We don't need to care about politics. We don't even need to vote. We don't need to worry about anything. That's some people in this room. They're like, it doesn't even matter. Right? I've had, I had, I had, I had um, great discussions on Facebook about that one. It doesn't even matter, right? Okay? And then there's the other people that all they do is talk about politics. All they do is they jam this stuff down your throat like if you don't vote, you're going to hell. I'm just saying. Like those are the two extremes that are there. And so we as a church have to come to the place that we realize, hold on a second, we serve a king. Amen? There is a kingdom that we live from and a kingdom that we live for. And we are supposed to do what? We are supposed to be ambassadors. Listen to me now. We are supposed to be ambassadors for that kingdom while we are here in this earth. Are you hearing me? Everywhere that we are, we are supposed to be light. We're supposed to be salt. Last paragraph. As the church, we cannot be seduced by the cultural sway of political correctness. Are you here? As we see in Daniel, our trust must be in God. Prayer, obedience, and holiness must, be all, must all be reflected in all that we do to contribute to the culture that we live in. Let me say that again. Prayer, obedience, and holiness must all be reflected in all that we do to contribute to the culture we live in. Now listen to this next, next part here. God honors the governing institutions or institutes established by the nations. Did you hear that? I want you to understand what this means. This messed me up the other day. 
How many of y'all know Romans chapter 13? Romans chapter 13, you're familiar with it, right? All authority is given by God, right? And, and the government, right, it, it talks about all authority not bearing the sword in vain. And I, I was listening to, this, to, to this, um, this professor in a college, and he, sa- he, may, he said something to me that messed me up. Because he was like, you know, he said, when we look at that scripture, we automatically look at him or her or them. Are you hearing me? When you think of that scripture, that's what you hear. That's what you think, right? But here's what you forget, is that we're supposed to be a government that's for the people of the people. Y'all ain't hearing me. So what that means is that as people, listen to me now, before God, we are supposed to be part of, because this is the way that our nation established, right? This, this, this is not me, and God didn't. Now look at, now look at your Bible, because here's what you won't find. You're not going to find where God says you have to do government like this. You know what he says about government? He says that it's supposed to be just. So you figure out how, if you want to vote on everything, you vote on everything. If you, want to, if you want to have a king and you want to have, you know, parliament, you do it like that. As long as it's just, that's what God wants. Are you here? Are you, are you with me? And so what that means is that we need to really take seriously our part in the governance of this nation. I hope you're hearing this. We need to be serious about this and realize that God honors that. And he says to us that we, listen, we as the church, as the church are supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. And so, we, and so the United States was established, look at the paragraph here. The United States was established as a democratic republic, giving people a voice and therefore a great responsibility in our government. The church is called to be salt and light, which means, listen to what this means, church. It means we live as examples. That is what it means to be light. It means that, you know, it's funny, this morning my, my, my mother-in-law, she purchased, um, or I don't know if she purchased, I don't know how, how this ended up in my son's hands, but my son loves cars. And so she got him this thing um, last week, and it's, a, and it's a nightlight. And, you know, so obviously this is the first nightlight we've had in our house. And I come out of my room this morning as I'm walking to the study, and obviously the house is dark. And I was surprised at how bright this little light made my house. Hello. This little light of mine, you know that song, Right? I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. <laughs> but look at, but, but when I thought about that, I thought about this in this context. I said that was one nightlight. What would happen if I had a wall full of nightlights? Are you getting the picture? If I had a house, if on every spot, on every wall, there was a nightlight, guess what? It would be like the sun shining in the midst of my house. Are you hearing me? Why is that? Because that little light, it's just one by itself, can illuminate so much. But when the church, and this is why we need to look at the same Bible. Hello. We need to look at the same scriptures. We need to bow our heart before the same God. And we need to pray that God would unify us in one mind and in one accord so we shine the light correctly. So that way the world can see because what it means to be the light is that we live as examples and we influence lives around us as we seek to make disciples. That's what it means to be salt. It's not just being there as one who is illuminating, but it is one who is influencing. And, and, and you, know, you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say it later on as well. I do not. I, I, listen, I am absolutely 1,000%, okay? I know that's not even possible, but I am. 1,000% disgusted with the two candidates that we have up there. I know, I know some of you just got offended, and that's okay. But I want to let you know that I'm not going to jump on any bandwagon to appease anybody. 
I want you to know that those two people, neither one of them should be up there running. They should have never gotten the votes to get to the position that they're in. But you want to know what the problem is? Let me tell you the problem. The problem is the church stopped being light and stopped being salt, and we're no longer making disciples, so that's who people are choosing. That's the issue. And so the fact of the matter is, what is it that we need to do? We need to be salt. We need to be light. We need to be the ones who are brilliantly shining for Jesus. And we need to be the ones who are intentionally ministering and reaching the lives of other people. Are you here? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And, and, and listen, it doesn't stop there. And we speak up. Say speak up. When the culture detours. From the precepts of Scripture, because we know, hear me, the consequences of rebellion against God along with the resulting blessings of our obedience. Are you hearing me? You see, our problem is political correctness. See, once someone gets a law passed or once someone gets enough airtime on the news, all of a sudden we start to feel intimidated to speak up about what's right. We feel intimidated to speak up. And then you know what? You go to your jobs, and you know what? A lot of jobs, they're really, they, they want to can you in, right? They want to make you like, if you talk about Jesus, you could lose your job and get, have you fearful. And so all of a sudden, right? And listen, I'm not, let me pause for a moment. I'm not telling you to be talking about Jesus when you need to be working. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, because that's the wrong thing. That's the wrong way to do it. I'm talking about when you're on break. I'm talking about when you're at lunch. I'm talking about you living for Jesus, not compromising in your work. I'm talking about being an example. I'm talking about being on time in the name of Jesus. I'm not, I'm not talking about you over here supposed to be on the phone if you work in a call center and all of a sudden you got to have a, have, a, have a Jesus break because you want to preach Jesus. Hold on a second. Get your minutes in on the phone. Take a break and then talk about Jesus and come back and bring glory to God. Don't be talking about, I'm talking about Jesus. So if I lose my job, yeah, you lose your job for the wrong reason. Then you come to church. Listen, I need some prayer because I was representing Jesus. No, that was the wrong representation. Listen, we need, to, we need to be those people that recognize. Listen, and th th this is what happens. You see, the, the reason why, you know, the, the reason why this is something that stirs my heart so much is because, you know what, when I read my Bible, when I read my Bible, and listen to me, people think this. They're like, oh, well, you know, in the Old Testament, God was only dealing with Israel. Okay, then you forgot about this prophet by the name of Jonah. Remember that guy? Okay, you, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? You remember them, right? Was that Israel? No, that wasn't Israel. There was one guy from a Abraham's family, and that was Lot, who was in there. And God brought judgment upon heathens. God preached judgment through Jonah to Nineveh. These were heathen. These were not covenant people. And God was concerned with their affairs, and he was saying, listen, if you, he, he, he just, if you do not repent, then you're going to experience judgment. And so what happens is when we read our Bibles, we know that if we are not, listen, if we as a nation, as we have continually over and over, over a period of time, we have turned further and further away from God. And so you know what? We see what? We see the consequence of that stuff. Y'all have, have seen the poems and, and, and you know, the, the things that talk about, you know, you took prayer out of school, you took Bibles out of school, and you wonder why all these things are happening. But you know what? Can I, can, can I just say something? Christians, I think you stop there and like that's the only thing you think that fixes the problem that's not the truth oh yeah that was that, that was a result of something but listen there was so much more immorality and you know what we're supposed to be like a christian nation 
Are you here? Can you know, you know, let, let me tell you how Christian we are. This, this is how Christian we are. I think we're like number three on the missions list. You know what that means? Like, you know, there's places where you need to go and, and, and have missionaries. <laughs> it means that we're like number three on that list. Like, we need missionaries in America. Like, when we talk about overseas missions, listen, we need across-the-street missions. We need backyard missions. We, 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 we need across-the-block missions. We need, we, that, that's the kind of missions that we need because we are a heathen nation. I'm just saying. We, we, we don't reverence God. We're not honoring him. We're not considering him. I mean, if you listen, you guys, are, some of y'all, some of y'all were irate about a year ago in some change, right? When the Supreme Court decided to cast down all of your votes and said, I don't care what you said, it was illegal. Are you hearing me? What they did was illegal. That wasn't even right. And Chris's like, oh, well, you know, whatever. 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 But can I tell you something? This is about to offend a lot of you. When I got on my senseless debate on Facebook, you know something that I said? I told the people four years ago, I said, you need to check the party platform. So forget about the candidates for a moment. Check the party platform. And you know what one of my favorite liberal friends came out and said? This was their exact words. Since when did we start reading platforms? For real? You read platforms because in platforms, you know what platforms said? Platform, the Democratic platform four years ago said this. They were going to push this agenda forward. So you know what? This is where the offense comes, and I'm going to move on. If you voted for our president, you voted for that. They promised it, and they delivered. That's a sad reality. But here's here's what has to happen for us, church. We have to wake up to the word of God. We need, listen, listen to me. We need to stop listening. Y'all are going to hate me when I say this. We need to stop just listening to Fox News or CNN or whatever it is that our favorite news outlet is, and we need to really get down on our faces before God with the issues, and we really need to let God develop and mold our hearts so that way we don't think we know everything because believe me, I know this much. I don't know everything, and every day I learn how much more I don't know. Listen, it's important for us to have this awakening. And so listen, here's my big idea. My big idea for the day is this. God's glory must matter more to us than our comfort, even our own lives. When we look at this guy by the name of Daniel, as I said, when I was praying about and I was considering the the scriptures and I was realizing Moses going before Pharaoh and I realized all of these different situations that we have and Daniel being a huge book. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a couple of chapters before. You have Daniel in this chapter. These were all people that were influencing the governments of their culture. Are you hearing me? These are all people. It wasn't like they were, and and these are people, let me tell you, in this particular book in Daniel, these are people who were like us, right? They they, they, They weren't from Babylon. Are you here? They were captives who were brought into Babylon in slavery because of what? Because Israel rebelled against God. Are you hearing me? Because Israel rebelled against God. And how do you rebel against God? You rebel against God by disobeying God's laws. Are you here? 
You ignore God's principles. You ignore God's standards. You call, and I love this, um, Juan, every time he prays, he always prays somewhere in his prayer usually that we are calling what is good, evil, and what is evil, good. That is the way that you rebel against God. When you decide that this thing that he says is bad, this thing that he says is sin, that you say, it's okay. That you choose as a nation to say, it's okay, it's, it's all right to be like that. And what, what, what I realize is this, is God's glory must matter more to us than our comfort. In other words, listen, I'm going to tell you something right now, I, and, and I, I will confess this to you. When I was preparing this message, I was like, God, I don't want to preach this message. I'm sitting straight up because I know some of you are going to be so, some of you are just irate right now. You're just waiting for Bishop to finish. And I'm sorry that you feel that way. I still got about 30 more minutes. I'm just going to let you know right now. So you got to endure my voice for the next 30 minutes. But here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not preaching this because I want to offend you. I'm praying that I will cause you to go into a prayer closet, that I will cause you to get into God's word and not listen to my thoughts or my words, but listen to his word. Listen to what he says. Look at his principles. His principles are right. I'm not always right, but I'm giving you what I know to be truth. And so the reality is when I look at this, we have to care more about God's glory than our own comforts. And if we're going to be people who are not politically correct, then we're going to have to say, hey, I'm going to stand for God's glory. The first thing I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, God sees the enemy scheming under the guise of political correctness. The first thing is God sees the enemy scheming under the guise of political correctness. In these verses that we read here, we see that there was Daniel and there was a bunch of other people. There was a few other people. They were put over um, certain amounts of other people to govern and to guide them. And the scripture says that Daniel was being elevated. There was a favor. There was something on Daniel's life. And it doesn't really give us the reason why, but these guys, the satraps and all of these other people, they just didn't want to be under Daniel. So they were like, man, we got to find something wrong with this guy. We've got to do something to make sure that, that, that the king does not put him over us. And so what had happened here was, just to give you a little bit of history here, um, this, this is a new king that is there, Darius, who's the king. Now, he's a new king because Belshazzar had just been killed, and so they had just taken over the Persians, the Medes. They had just taken over Babylon. So they came in there, took them out, and then, you know, obviously there's some time here, and Daniel has this favor of God on him. And so what I want you to get is that the enemy's plans, I want you to hear this, the enemy's plans only work in the darkness. Did you hear me? I want you to think about that. The enemy's plans only work in the darkness. I want you to think about your marriage for a moment. If you and your spouse have some type of disagreement and you go over to this side and you just start thinking all kind of stuff and you never tell her or him what you're thinking, you make this whole story up, you build this whole thing up because, you know, you know them. Are you here? And you stay mad, you stay upset, whatever it is, and the enemy's at work because what? Because you never had a conversation. Because if you just walked over there and said, you know, man, this is what I'm thinking. Think about it with friends. You know, I always use this, this analogy. In marriage, it happens that way. Think about it with relationships with people. I see this happen in church often. This, this has happened. I've seen this a few times in the last, like, 17 years that I've been preaching and been around people in ministry. I've seen this a few times, you know, where you, or I'll say me because I never offend anyone. But anyway, um, <laughs> I offend someone, right? 
And you know, when you offend someone and you know like there was like a heated conversation or there was some really intense disagreement, you know what happens, right? There's that awkward feeling that you have because you're like, man, I, I, you know, I don't know how I'm going to address that person, right? And you know what I've learned to do? What I've learned to do is I have learned that before I see that person the next time, I need to pick up the phone. I need to be like, hey, can we talk real quick? And I need to just clear the air. Why? Because here's what happens. I'm feeling funny, right? They're feeling funny. It's all awkward. The enemy's working in the dark in the background. We see each other. Something happens that has nothing to do with the situation. And all of a sudden, I'm building a bigger case because, oh, you know, he didn't wave at me. <laughs> Seriously. Like, that happened. I mean, it, it happens, right? You know, oh, well, he didn't, he, he didn't look in my direction. Or she didn't. What, what do you mean? What, what did it have to do with anything? Like, I mean, so anyway, all I'm saying is the enemy works in the dark. His plans only work in the dark. The moment you expose his plans, his plan is done. The moment you expose his plan to divide a house, the moment you expose his plan to, to bring destruction, to, the moment you do that is the moment that you disseminate, you destroy the works and the plans of the enemy. It's when you try, and this is the reason why I love when the Bible says not to let the sun set on your anger. I love that. You know why? Because to me, and I've said this before, I believe that that's a, that's a strict commandment for us to say, listen, don't be letting days and weeks and months go by when you're angry. Fix it address it. Don't be like all oh, spiritual. I got to go pray about this. We have some of the most spiritual people that are so bitter and so offended. Are y'all ain't hearing me? Some people, I, I, listen, they, they, they are so holy. They, they just pray about everything and they never have a conversation. And, and, but they're always praying about something. Hello, somebody. And it's, you know why? It's because the enemy just, just jabs at you. Because you go pray. Let me tell you something. Please pray about it. Have a conversation right after you pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Because you know what the enemy does? While you're over there praying about it. And I don't know about you, but when I'm offended and I go pray about it, you know what I end up doing? I end up rehearsing stuff in my head. I don't really pray very much. Right? So I'm like rehearsing. I'm like stuff is going. And then when I finish talking, I'm thinking about it a little bit more. And then I'm like, Lord, I submit this to you. And then I'll go back and I'm like, did I really submit this? Listen, have a conversation, glory to God. Right? Talk to someone. Right? That, that's, that, but, but the enemy, he wants to work in the dark. And so here's what I want you to get. Political correctness is the ultimate source of darkness because it is the public obscuring of real issues. Are you here? You see, the way the enemy works in the public sphere, political correctness. We don't talk about issues. We don't deal with any issues. We don't really talk about stuff. We don't want to offend anyone. You know why? Because we have this thing called tolerance. Hello. Right? So, so tolerance, and, and it works towards everyone except radical Christians. I'm just saying. It's, I'm, it, look, don't, don't, don't look at me like I'm funny. Listen. It's the reality. You go on ahead and you stand up for Jesus, and you're going to see how you are not tolerated, but you are expected to tolerate everyone around you. It's just the truth. But why is that? Because that's the enemy. He wants to silence. He wants to hinder the, move, the, the moving forward of this gospel in and through us. And so, to be sure, Daniel's days and his scenario are only slightly different than ours. On a political front, Babylon was a monarchical government, right? It was a king. They had parliament. Obviously, you see them there. And however, we still see something. It's pretty amazing. When I was looking at this, I thought this was pretty cool. We still see lobbyists petitioning the king to pass a law that promote their agenda. Are you here? That's what we have here. These guys are like, look, we don't want this guy to be over us. And so we got to figure out a way that we can go ahead and we can, we, we can trip him up. we got to figure out a way to make him look bad before the king. 
And so they go ahead, they figure out this plan, they come before the king, and they're like, hey, king, you know, glory to you, all this and that. And they, they, they blow the king up, right? They make the king feel amazing, like, listen, king, if anyone seeks any god or anyone other than you, they're going to be thrown in the den. And the king was like, yes. Yes. I'm feeling that. So they, he, he thought it was a good idea. And the king goes and he brings it. He's like, okay, go ahead and make this. And, and he, here's, here's what I want you to get. We don't know exactly why they didn't want Daniel promoted, but we know this was the heart behind all their plotting. Their heart was what? Their heart was to hurt someone else, to promote their agenda. And so that's what we have to look at in this story here. So our nation, I want you to get this. Our nation church is swamped with lobbyists and political activists inside and outside of the church, activists with an agenda. Our parties each have an agenda called a platform. And listen, what I'm going to call you to do, this, this what I'm, and I'm going to say this right now. I already said this once. I'm going to say this one more time. I am disgusted by the two people that we have to choose from, right? Now, I, I, I want to say that, I wish, and, and this saddens my heart, I wish there was someone that I could honestly get behind and just be like, you know, I support this person 100%. Like, like I'm with them. I, I wish there was. And, and I, listen, I wouldn't endorse them because I can't do that. I would, but I wouldn't endorse them. But I wish that I could because in private conversation, I would let you know, hey, man, I really think this is great. The truth of the matter is, I can't do it. Both of these people's character lacks. I don't care what anyone says. It is the truth. Okay? It is, it is the truth, all right? And so I was going to say this all for later, but I'm going to say it right now because I, just need to, I, I need you to hear this. When we're looking at what we're going to do, like when we're getting ready to vote, if you're going to do that, the, the, the one thing that you need to do is you need to look at that first of all. Be honest in your evaluation. Don't lie. Don't, don't just, don't, don't lie to yourself and don't be deceived. Are you here? I'm just saying, be honest with yourself. The second thing is, be, um, you know, look at the party platform. See which one aligns with your biblical values more, not your opinions. Are you hearing me? Listen. At this point, you can't bank on the character of anyone. Are you here? As a matter of fact, let me, let me, let me flip that around. You can't bank on the character of both of them because you know they're both terrible. You can be assured, right? There's only one thing. There's only, there's only one thing that separates these two, in my opinion. Only one thing. One thing. And it is that one of them has been in the government for a long time, so you see how they've operated in government. The other one has been in the private sector. That's the only difference. So you don't know what's going to happen. So with one of them, you know what's going to happen. I'm saying, you, you know. Don't, be, don't, don't, don't lie to yourself. You know. To the other one, ah, it's 50-50. I'm just, I'm just saying. That's the way I look at it. It's 50-50. It's like, well, you know, I don't know. I, you know so um, anyway, I'm going to leave that there. Look at the party platform. Open your Bible when you sit down. If you need help, I'll sh we, we can look at the scriptures together. Not, not my opinions. We can look at the scriptures together on the issues that are there, and we can see that. Please do that. Be honest. If you care about your nation, do that. Um, the next thing is pray, pray, pray. And let me say this. Be honest in discussions. Don't be a jerk. Don't, 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 don't be a jerk. Just, just know. Hey, people got their opinions. Be open. Know the importance of your role in a political process. Are you here? Know the importance. Please know the importance of this. It's important for us to understand that the church is filled with these activists. But here's what I want you to get. Our parties have their platform. As the church, we do all of that. But can I tell you something? We cannot forget what is our main agenda, which is making disciples. Are you hearing me? Listen to me. We cannot 
Lose sight. Listen, don't let the political season suck you into all of this craziness. Be focused on what you need to do as a child of God, and that is make disciples for the glory of Jesus. Second thing that I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must never abandon biblical convictions and practice for political correctness. I love this. Let's read verse 10 through 13. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so Daniel knows that this, this writing is signed, he goes home. And it says, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now I want you to notice what is the most important part of this verse. As was his custom since earlier days. Do you see that? It, it, we, we focus on the fact that Daniel knew what was up. He knew what the law was. And then what does he do? He goes home. He opens up his windows. He bows down three times a day. That's, that's beautiful. And that is powerful that he does that, that he doesn't bend his convictions, that he doesn't bend his practice. But that is the key. It was a practice. He wasn't trying to make a point. Are you hearing me? I think for us as Christians, we, we get too caught up in trying to make a point. Are you here? Instead of living out of the convictions that we should be living out of, which come from Scripture. In all of our assumptions, we know this. Look at this. Wicked hearts do not like to see anyone with God's favor on their lives. And Daniel was a foreigner who was prospering in captivity, having the favor of God of the king and, uh, and of the king. More importantly, he had God's favor. And here's, here's what I love. I, I, I love this. Look, look, look back really quickly. At verse 5, this, this verse is, is huge for me. I think that this needs to be our heart. Look, look what verse 5 says. It says, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Can I tell you something? That for me is like huge because I feel like that's the kind of Christians that we need to be. That when people look at our lives, that that's what sh they should be like, man, I'm not going to find anything wrong with this person unless it has to do with the way that they hold to the Bible. Are you hearing that? Like that was a thing. It wasn't because Daniel was this or Daniel was that. Daniel broke none of the laws in his, in, in, in his land. He was faithful. He did everything right. And so they had to bring a plan together in order to hinder this guy from being able to pray to his God. Verse 11 says this. It says, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians which does not alter. Verse 13 says, so they answered and said before the king, that Daniel who is of the captives of Judah does not show due regard to you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. See, whether we like it or not, here's the truth. Biblical convictions and practice will eventually collide with political correctness. Are you here? Whether you like it or not, if you're going to live for the scriptures, if you're going to live for God's glory, if you're really going to care about God's glory more than your comfort, the reality is that your biblical convictions and your biblical practice at some point are going to collide with political correctness, whether it's through legislature or whether it's through the progressives of our day. Are you here? 
It's, it's going it's to collide at some point, and you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to stand for the truth, or am I going to bow to the idols of my day? That's the reality. The reality is you and I have to make that choice, and, and sometimes it's like right in our face, and it can cost us everything, and we have to make a choice and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to bow to the idols of our day. When you go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I was going to use that one, but I like Daniel's story a little bit better to, you know, to drive, to, to, to look at the hope that there is in God when, when, when he has his hand upon anyone, regardless of whether they're heathen or not. It, it's God's hand that we see in a mighty way upon this king, but the truth is when you look back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happened over there? Well, that particular king, he did what? He built this huge idol, and he said that every time that you heard the sounds of music, everyone had to bow to this idol. So Nebuchadnezzar was going nuts, and he was doing this, and you know what these guys said? No, sir, we are not going to bow to the idols of our day. No matter what it cost us, when you look back at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look, man, they were back there, and they weren't like, yes, God is definitely going to deliver us. They were like, yeah, he can deliver us, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. All of us are going to encounter this, and we have to make this decision. So lastly, we will only stand firm, and I love that verse that we looked at. We will only stand firm in our faith publicly when our private practice of faith is the norm of our lives. You know why Daniel stands out to me is because he was already, always practicing that. That was something that he did as a norm. It wasn't something he was trying to prove a point. He was simply living out the thing that he's always done. The third thing I'd ask you to repeat after me, say, our opposition is no match for our advocate. Our opposition is no match for our advocate. Let's read verses 14 and 28, and then we're going to wrap this up. He says, in the king... When he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And, be, and, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the commandment, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Isn't that awesome? This, 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 listen, this was not a Christian king. Are you here? This was not a Jewish king. This was a heathen king. Are you? Young in this. I'm encouraged. Anyway. He was a heathen king, and he's encouraging this guy, saying, listen, man, your God, he's going to deliver you. That, he, was, he was encouraging Daniel in this. And then verse 17 says, then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And verse 18 says, now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I love that. Daniel wasn't mad. Daniel wasn't bitter. Daniel wasn't like, oh, you're a jerk. He didn't say, man, you should have changed. You know, he didn't, none of that stuff. Daniel was like, he honored the king, and he says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. 
Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And verse 24 says, and the king gave the command. I love this. He changed the command here. And they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they even came to the bottom of the den. Now listen, I want you to know, I don't rejoice over the wives and the kids. I don't rejoice over that. That was a judgment that the king made. But those guys, they deserve to be thrown in there. Because those guys were plotting and they were doing wrong, right? They were the ones that were doing wrong. And so, ultimately, they suffered the consequence that they wanted David, D Daniel to suffer. But look at verse 25. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must, say men must, tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God and steadfast forever his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end he delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian amen and amen See, when we look at this, our opposition is no match for our advocate. You see, the beauty of this is that we see two things here. The first one is that we see a heathen king who ended up having his heart for God. Oh, that's awesome. We saw someone who was, I mean, obviously the guy, I mean, the way that he threw families in here, I mean, that shows that there's some issues there. But here's the deal. We see this guy, his heart was for Daniel in the first place. And then once Daniel is delivered by God, this king turns around and he does what? He makes a law for everyone that they will bow to the one true God. He makes a law, not only, listen, that they must tremble and fear before this God. Listen, but can I tell you something? That law wouldn't have come to pass if Daniel wouldn't have spent the night in the lion's den. You see, everybody wants that law to pass. Y'all got that. Everybody wants those laws to pass, but nobody wants to open their mouth. Nobody's willing to suffer loss because what? We're not more concerned about God's glory. You see, what we need to be is we need to be those people that are truly making disciples and truly standing up for what is right in the midst of a world that wants us to be quiet. We have to be those people that say, listen, I am not going to bow to the idols of our day. I'm not going to give in to the pressure. I'm not going to give in to whatever it is that I can lose. The result, I love this, the result of Daniel standing firm was not only deliverance, but just like in the story, because the same thing happens in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story when they went into, when, when they went into the fiery furnace. The only difference is this. The only difference is that Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't care about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. He didn't care about them. He was angry at them because they wouldn't bow to the idol. I mean, he, he turned the furnace up seven times hotter and threw them in there, and then all of a sudden that fourth man showed up. Glory to God. And that's what happened. And they were delivered. There was no smoke smell on them. There was no burn, no hair singed on them. I mean, these guys were in there like if they, they didn't even walk into a fire. But you know what? Again, the law that was passed at the end was because there were some valiant men who would not bow to the pressures of their day. And listen, we're not a huge church, and I don't expect us to go out there and change the world politically right now. Are you hearing me? It's not what I expect. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ignorant to that reality. Even if we were a mega church, it would still take more than a mega church in one place to change our nation. But if the church, if we as the church would begin to unite together, and like I said earlier, be those little lights that are going to shine. Be those ones that say, God, we want to see the brilliance of your glory in and through our lives. If we will be those people, I believe that we can see change. Listen, here's, here's the reality. There's two things that, that I know. One is this, and we're going to talk about this starting next week when we start going through First and Second Thessalonians. Listen, we're living in the last days. Are you here? There's no question. We've been living in the last days for a long time. Since Paul's time, we've been living in the last days. And so what I know is that every last day we live in, we get closer to the last day. Hello, somebody. It's just a reality. All right? So I don't know how long these last days are going to last. Oh, glory to God. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how long Jesus will tarry. But what I do know is that the Bible says that he is not slack concerning his promises. That's what I know. But he is, but he is patient, willing that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's what we see in God's heart. And so what I realize is this, when I look at history, modern history, what I realize when I look at, when I look at scriptural history, you know, Jonah, you know he was mad at God. Y'all know that, right? You know why he was mad at God? Well, he was prejudiced. That was part of it. That, that, that's part of the thing. But it was bigger than that. It was because he didn't want to be wrong. And he knew that if these people repented, that God would relent from sending his wrath. He's a prophet of the Lord. He's like, man, I don't want to go over here because I know God. And I know if these people turn from their sin, he's going he's, he's to relent. He's, in, he's not going to judge them. And, and this guy's like, I want them to be judged because I'm giving them a word of the Lord. And so he goes over there. He preaches this message. The king is like, yo, we need to repent. He calls the people to repentance. And then you know what? The wrath of God was subsided for 150 years before Nineveh experienced God's wrath. They ultimately experienced it because they went back into their rebellion. But here's the truth. The truth that I know is that we are living in the last days, but I know that God always shows himself to be merciful and gracious. And if there is a church that will come together, that will cry out to their God, and listen, not just pray about it, but preach the gospel, share the truth of who God is, be the light. Listen, you can't be the light and be quiet. Are you hearing me? Y'all ain't hearing me. I got like two amens. You cannot be the light and be silent. It's not, your, your smile is not what just illuminates. Hello. Right? It's, it's not just that. I mean, great, you have a beautiful smile, but that is not it. It may illuminate someone's life, but that's not the light that Jesus is talking about. You cannot be the light and be silent. If we are going to make impact in people's lives, then we have to rise up and let God use us. And so I'm going to close with, um, turn with me real quick to a couple books back, to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. Because I want you to see how God communicates to, Jer to, to, to the people of Israel as they're getting ready to go into this bondage over here. And there's just a couple of principles because I want to give you some application, some real application here for you to be able to see how it is that we're supposed to live in these places, in these times. When the enemy wants us to be politically correct. And I want you to think about this as we turn there. How has, this is my closing question, how has political correctness influenced your faith? I want you to think about that. How has political correctness influenced your faith? How has it made you become more silent, less bold? How has it made you compromise on your convictions? How has it made you be the way that you shouldn't be? Listen, we need a church to rise up. 
And I'm hoping that we have some people in here who say, God, I'm here. And we might be few, but we know that we're powerful in you. And we know that you hear us. He didn't ask for a whole bunch of people that would cry. He said, if, if my people would, that are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven. I would forgive their sin, and I would heal their land. And listen, I want you to know something. I know that's a promise to Israel, 100%. I'm not trying to apply that a promise to, to America like we are Israel because we are not. But what I want you to know is that you look at the book of James, and you know what he tells us to do? He tells us that if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He tells us to turn our mourning into, our, our laughter into mourning. He tells us to lament. He tells us to weep. He tells us to mourn. He tells us to do those things because what? He is willing to answer us. And so Jeremiah chapter 29, I hope you all are there right now, in, verse 20, in chapter 29, verse 1, it says this. It says, now, these are the words of the letter of Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, to the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the, prince, the, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of, of, of Elisa, of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, who Zedekiah, <clears throat> Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, look at what God says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Look what he says. He said, build, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. And so what's the first thing that he's commanding them to do? He's telling them to build houses. He's telling them, look, you're, you're going to be in this place of bondage. You're, listen, we are not. Understand this. I said that we live from a kingdom and we live for a kingdom. The Bible says that we are pilgrims. We are pastors through. We're not, this is not our homeland. Are you here? This is, this is just a place that we're here temporarily. So that's what the scripture says. And so God speaks the same thing to us because this wasn't their homeland. This is a place that they were because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience. And he tells them to build houses, to dwell in them, to plant gardens, to eat their fruit, to take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives to your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. So the first thing that we're supposed to do living in this culture is we are supposed to be fruitful. Say fruitful. We're supposed to be fruitful in our marriages. We're supposed to be fruitful in our families. We're supposed to be fruitful in honoring God in all the things that we do. We're supposed to bear fruit. We're not supposed to sit down and cover ourselves with, you know, and just act like things aren't going on. We're supposed to be fruitful while we're here. He goes on and he says this in verse 7. He says, seek the peace. Say, seek the peace. He says, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Did you hear that? He's telling them, don't just pray for your peace. Pray for the peace of the city you live in. Pray for the peace of the place that you live in. Seek its peace. How do we seek God's peace in a place? Well, first of all, we seek it by being fruitful. Secondly, we seek it by influencing the lives of other people because we know what I said in the beginning, which is what? Is that there are consequences for our rebellion against God, and there are blessings that result from our obedience to God. So if I'm seeking the peace of the place where I live, then I'm seeking to be light, and I'm seeking to be salt, and to help other people come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. In verse 8 and 9, and we'll, and we'll wrap it up here. He says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is very important. Do not let your prophets or your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. 
nor listen to your dream which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now listen, we're supposed to make sure that we're fruitful. We're supposed to make sure that we're seeking the peace of our city. But the last thing we need to do is we need to make sure that we're not listening to false prophets. We need to make sure we're not listening to false offer, people who are offering us false peace. People who are not confronting sin. I had a conversation um, last Sunday after church. Um, it, was, it, it, was, it was a funny situation. You know, I, I, I had a conversation with a guy, and um, it was sad and funny at the same time. And as we're talking, you know, we're, we're, we're talking, you know, we're, I'm finding out where he's from and all this and that. And I just all of a sudden just went into my testimony and started sharing how I got saved. And so when I finished saying how I got saved, um, he's like, oh, so, and, and he's like, so, you know, and since then you've been living right or something like that. And I was like, eh, you know, I've been trying. And he's like, yeah, he said, well, unfortunately, you know, I'm a sinner. And I said, okay. And I said, well, let's talk about that. I'm like, you know, it's kind of, you know, he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, and then he goes on, he goes on to say, he said, you know, I don't, um, he says, I don't, I don't, I don't hurt anyone. He said, you know, my sins are against myself. So really he wasn't a bad sinner because no one else was hurt by his sin. Except the people that were affected by his sin. He was a little tipsy. I just want to throw that out there. So we continued in the conversation, and, you know, and I'm like, well, I, I said, well, ultimately, I said, look, you know, he's like, and, 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 he, and, and I said, well, do you have a religious background? You know, he said the sinner thing, and, and he's like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not a believer. And I was like, okay. And he said, I don't want to have a, I don't want to have a religious debate with you. And I was like, that's fine. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to debate you. And so he proceeded to debate me. I was like, okay, well, let's debate. Um, so I, I didn't really, when, when someone says they don't want to debate, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm not, a, I don't, I, I am, um, I'm a confrontational kind of guy, so I can easily get into a debate with someone, and so I really, you know, like hone it down, like they don't want to debate, whatever. So, you know, he, he started pointing out things, he's like, yeah, you know, um, and, I, and I said, well, ultimately, man, I said, you know, we're all, he tells me he read the Bible, and he's like, okay, and I said, all right, he's like, you know, I read it, and he said, and, you know, I believe in Jesus, I believe that he died for my sins, and I was like, okay but you're not a believer. I'm like, so why does this matter? He's like, oh, because of history. You know, he's, he's the greatest figure of history. And I'm like, okay. I said, but why does it matter that he died for your sin? Why are you telling me he died for your sin and you believe that? Like, it doesn't matter because he's not God. And he's like, oh, no, no, but, you know, I, I believe that. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm confused. But anyway, you know, I, I continue, I continue. And I, I said, but here, I said, here's the deal, man. I said, you know what, man? I said, we're all sinners. He's like, oh, no, I don't believe that. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, here we go. I said, but you just said you were a sinner. He's like, yeah, and he pointed to my son. He's like, yeah, but he's not a sinner. I said, he's the biggest sinner in this room. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, oh, yes, he is a sinner. I said, well, we'll move on from that. And I said, let's just, let, let's just forget about the kids for a moment, right? And so that's where the conversation ended because we had to pray. Um, and so the, the conversation stood there, and I, he didn't want to debate, and we weren't going anywhere with the conversation. So I just left it alone, so I've been praying for him. His name is Derek, so y'all pray for Derek because um, he, he's read the Bible, and so he knows what the Scriptures say. He's just deceived by his sin. The reason why I, I brought that whole story up is because he told me something. He said every Sunday, he told, me he, he told me that his dad goes to a church. I won't tell you what church it is. And he said that he visited that church with his dad for a while, and he said he used to feel good because it was like an hour of positivity in his life. And then he proceeded to say that he, he, he watches, and before he said the words, I said, you watch Joel Osteen every Sunday, don't you? And he's like, yes, I do. And I said, okay. I didn't say that. I, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. 
he said, in my brain, I was finishing his sentence. He was like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I watch Joel Osteen, you know, every Sunday. It's just, you know, real positive. And he's like, you know, but he's just a businessman. And I was like, okay, man, whatever. Confused. But this, this is why I bring this up. Because the last point that God says to Israel is don't listen to the false prophets. Don't listen to those who are giving you false peace. Listen, there needs to be a conviction of sin when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you hear the word of God coming forward into your life, there, you need, listen, there needs to be some introspection. Like, you need to look inside yourself and recognize, like, man, there are some sinful things inside of me. You know, I love it in this church because, you know, from the beginning to the end, we're trying to pour out the gospel as much as we can. When we go through the communion time, we look at the gospel that we are sinful. And it's a time to reflect and know that you are sinful. Listen, you may be redeemed and you are not God's enemy if you are a child of God. But there should still be some introspection, like, man, I need to work on some things in my life. I need to come before God and let him deal with me. There's a problem when you sit before a preacher and you never feel bad about anything. Let me tell you something. I confess this. I do not get up here every Sunday and want to make you feel bad about anything. That is never my intention. I'm never like, okay, I'm going to make them feel bad about this. I'm going to make them feel. It's not that. I study the Word of God, and you know what the Word of God does? It does two things, and, and as far as I know, it comes in, it cuts like a, sh- a sword, it, it shows me soul and spirit, it shows me my flesh, but then it offers me what? It offers me hope. And that's what God does. He says, listen, by yourself, you're hopeless. By yourself, you're in a pit. By yourself, you're not going to get out of where you're at. But with me, you can get out. If you put your faith in me, if you turn from your sin, you can get out of where you are. It doesn't mean your situation is going to be perfect, but he will deliver you from your sin. He will deliver you from those rebellious behaviors. That's what it shows us. But in our days, you know what our problem is? We have airwaves. We have television that is full of preaching that is without conviction. We have so many people who are being lulled to sleep thinking that because I heard somebody who said they were a preacher, then I'm okay. And listen, we can't listen to false preachers. We can't listen to false teaching. We can't be comforted by those things that shouldn't bring us comfort. We need to recognize where we are. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet. Let's pray together today. Let's just bow our hearts before Jesus. Let's bow our hearts before the Father, before the Holy Spirit. I want us to just take a moment and I want us to pray for our nation. I'm going to lead this prayer. I want us to pray for the church. But I want us to repent personally. And I don't, and I don't know what you need to repent of. I, I don't know your heart. I don't know your sin. But we talked about this political correctness. I just want you with your heart bowed, with your eyes closed, and your head bowed before the Lord as well. I just want you to think, where, where, where has this political correctness just corrupted you? Where have you allowed the lies of the enemy to creep into your life? Where are you not being salt? Where are you not being light? Confess that before God today. Ask him to renew your your faith, to stand firm, to stand strong upon the word of God.
be a light. Father, we believe your word, God. You tell us in your word that he who says he does not have sin makes you a liar. And so we all know, Lord God, that we have different sin in our lives that's hindering us from being the salt, that's hindering us from being the light. Some of us have been influenced by political correctness more than others, and so we come to you today, God, asking you to help us, asking you, Father, to have mercy on us, God. Forgive us for our rebellion. Forgive us for our disobedience. Forgive us for dishonoring you. Lord, today we humble our hearts in your presence. Today we submit our lives before you, God, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to search us and cleanse us, God. Father, as we pray for revival for our nation, we know that revival begins in our lives and it begins within your church. And so we know that we are living in these last days, God. There is no question in our minds, Lord God. We know that judgment will come to this earth, my Lord. We know that you will pour out your wrath. And Lord God, we know that these are things that are promised in your word. And so, Lord, we don't run from those promises, but we come to you bowed before them, my God. We come to you bowed before your mercy because we know, Lord God, that when we humble ourselves before you, my God, that you hear us, that you answer us, that you restore, that you show mercy. And so, God, I pray that you would revive us, your church. I pray that you would awaken us as your church, that you would stir our hearts after you, God, that you would give us a deeper hunger, a deeper thirst, Lord God, that we would pursue you with all of our soul, that we would run hard after you, God. Father, I pray that we would be revived by your grace, that we would be revived by your mercy. Lord God, that you would show yourself glorious in our lives and that you would use us, my God. Father, we do pray, God. Father, as we look at your word, we see that there is hope. Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked, heathen king who when he saw your glory, God, he turned, my Lord. He he declared that you were God he declared that you were holy, God. Father Cyrus, Lord God, Darius, my Lord, in Daniel's day, he decreed, Lord God, that you were holy and you were righteous. Father, we make no, <laughs> we make no excuses, God. As a nation, Father, we have rebelled against you. Father God, as a nation, we have dishonored you and we earn your wrath daily, my God. Father, whether it's through the murder of innocent lives, Father God, whether it's through racism, Heavenly Father, whether it's for not caring about those who can't care for themselves, Father God, we dishonor you, Lord God, by calling those things that you declare evil, good, and legal, my God. Father, today, Lord, we come to you. Have mercy. Have mercy, God. Father, we know that there is no salvation in a man. There is no salvation in a political party. But Lord God, there is salvation in you. And so Lord, we do pray for our nation's leaders presently. We pray that you would draw them near to you. We 
pray, Lord God, that you would give them, that, Lord God, as we saw in Darius, my God, that you would take their sleep from them, that they would recognize when they have rebelled against you, that they would realize, Lord God, that you are holy and righteous and that they would turn from their sin, that they would fast, that they would pray, that they would be like the king of Nineveh, my God. Father, as we look forward to this election, Father, Father, we know that you establish all authority, but you give us rights, Lord God, as a nation. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you would give us wisdom. My prayer is that you would give us guidance, Lord God. Father, you use wicked kings in the past, and so you can use wicked leaders today. Sadly, Father God, we've seen wickedness on the rise. And so we're praying for a turnaround in this nation. We're praying that you would draw the hearts of those that are potentially going to lead this nation to you in a way of repentance and faith, that they would really bow to you, that they would bear fruit worthy of repentance. And Lord God, that you would deliver them from party affiliations, that you would deliver them, Lord God, from giving into the status quo of politics, that you would deliver them from deception, and that you would prove, Lord God, their repentance unto your people, my God. Despite what happens, despite who wins, let us know that you're still on the throne. Let us trust you and let us be the light no matter who tries to shut us out or shut us up. Let us be the salt no matter who ignores us, God. Glorify yourself in us. We pray these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.